All right, let's declare this together. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray over pastor this morning. Lord, we just lift our pastor up to you. I pray for your anointing. I pray it would drip off of his tongue tonight, God. I pray that our ears and our hearts and our souls will be open to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we ask for the fullness of God, and we ask your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated for the reading of the word. Before I get started this morning, I want to personally thank our praise team and our worship team this morning. I want to give them a, a great big appreciation of, of going by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, everything they've done this morning is confirming my message. And our, our praise team's good about that. They, I'll notice a lot of times in the song, in the song service, they'll be going a certain way. And all of a sudden, I'll think, man, this is going right along with what I'm preaching, and we've not even communicated. Where's John and Miranda? Where y'all at? Hey, good job this morning. Good. Praise your team as well. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them clothed in tongues as a fire and it set upon each of them. And they were, all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. May the Lord add his blessing to his word today. This morning I want to focus on the experiences that came out of the upper room in verses 2 through 4 on the day of Pentecost. Verse 2 says, A rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And then verse 3 says, And there appeared unto them clothed in tongues of fire, and it set upon each of them... And then verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. I want you to notice the key words in all three of those verses. In verse 2, it's all the house. In verse 3, it's set upon each of them. In verse 4, and they were all filled. I don't know if you've seen the similarities of those, uh, of those words or not, but notice that all of the 120 experienced the same experience, seen the same witness, and manifested the same evidence. Each one of these 120 witnessed and experienced the very same thing. Do you know how miraculous that is? Matter of fact, for everyone to be manifesting and experiencing the very same thing all at the same time and being 120 of them, that is a miracle. We rarely hear of this kind of supernatural occurrences even in our modern 21st century Pentecostal churches. So often we see and witness Witness different people being blessed, but as a whole, very seldom do we ever see whole congregations responding to the Spirit of God in the very exact same way. Many times we see segments of the church body blessed, while at the same time many remain untouched and even unaware that the Holy Spirit is even around. This, of course, is understandable in what we would call individual diversity 
unity of need. In other words, let me explain it like this. Many might be healed in a service, but if the whole body is not sick, then that miracle or that witness of the Spirit will not come upon all people because there's not a need for it. If there's sick people here and God moves them out, that means that they're going to be blessed while you're not blessed because you're not in need of that kind of blessing. And we see those kinds of movements all of the time. Maybe someone needs to be encouraged. Maybe someone needs to be delivered. Maybe someone needs a special blessing in a certain area. And God individually come down and minister to those individual needs. That is vitally important and we don't want to take anything away from that. However, I want you to understand that God is out to do something different here within our church. And I want to tell you what it is. He's out to give us a corporate move like you and I have never experienced before in our lives. God is wanting to move this church in a corporate event that will bring about a divine awakening to this region. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? I got a little bit of you ready for it, but God's ready to move this whole congregation. The supernatural occurrence that took place on the day of Pentecost was not a, a, a healing or anything of that nature, but it was of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was the event that would clothe the church with power and anoint the disciples and the upper room people to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I wished I had time to preach on those different places of the Holy Spirit being poured out. But the event was also prophesied by Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29. The prophet Joel stood up and said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men like Bill's going to dream dreams. Your young men like Kent's going to see visions. Amen. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens, I'm going to pour out my spirit, saith the Lord of Host. That was a direct prophecy that the event that happened on the day of Pentecost would fully come. Matter of fact, it was Peter that stood up after that event and said, these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour of the day, but this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about, that in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we understand that the event of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was prophesied by the prophets. But this event was not only prophesied, but it was also prophesied promised by Jesus himself on several occasions. And matter of fact, we see him promising this event in John chapter 14, verse 25 and verse 26, when Jesus says, these things have I spoken to you, being present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of whatsoever I have said unto you. Wished I had time to preach on that verse, but I don't. But he promised it again in John 15 verse 26 but when the comforter is come whom I will send unto you from the father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father he shall testify of me he promised again in John chapter 16 verse 12 through 14 I have many things to say unto you but you can't really bear them or hear them right now is what he said but how be it when he has come the Holy Spirit he will guide you and into all truth and he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he heareth 
that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come, for he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. He promised the Holy Spirit again in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, when he said in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood crying, saying, if any man thirst, let him come to me. For as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spanky of the spirit, which they should believe on him, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. And then in Acts 1 and 5, he promised him again. For John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized not many days from thence with the Holy Spirit. He promised him again in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, for bread would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish in the place of a fish, would you give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg in the place of an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? Not only was this event prophesied, not only was it promised, but Jesus also gave commands concerning the early disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you that command has not been lifted off of the church. There's still a command for every single one of us blood-bought, born-again Christians to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many believe in that? I'm here about to preach. I'm building my case. I'm building a sermon. Hang with me here today. But not only has he been prophesied, not only has he been promised, but there is a command over the congregation here today for us all to receive the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, Jesus had just revealed himself after his resurrection to the disciples. And this is what John 20, 22 says. And Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then we see also in Luke 24, 49, before Jesus was taken away, he said, behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be clothed upon or until you be endued with power from on high. And then we see in Acts chapter one, verse four and five, and being assembled together with them after the resurrection, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of John, where he truly baptized into water and repentance, but you shall be baptized not many days with the Holy Spirit. So we see this event was prophesied, it was promised, and it's commanded. Now God will never command something that he's not already promised and willing and ready to fulfill. How many believe that? I want you to understand that if God's given you a command, there's a promise that'll follow through that'll give you the ability to redo that which he's commanded you to do. It's even prophesied. It's the will of God. So this event was the will of God for all people to receive, not just some, but for all people to receive the Holy Spirit. This is why that Joe did prophesy. He said that the Spirit would be poured out upon what? All flesh. And this is why that Peter, in reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 39, he said, for the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all of them that are for off, as many as the Lord our God should call. So this tells me that the Holy Spirit baptism is not only for me, but it's for my children. It's for Ben, John, and Sam. It's not only for them, but it's for my grandchildren. It's for Andrew, Audrey, Remy, Braylon, Chaz, Jedediah, Whitaker, and Jack. Can I have an amen? It's for every one of them. Not only is it for them, it's for my grandchildren 
grandchildren, great-grandchildren that ain't got here yet. And it's for my great-great-great-grandchildren. And it's for my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great. As many as the Lord our God should call. I want you to know what God done years ago. He's not done doing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the empowerment that he clothed the church with on the day of Pentecost, he's looking to do it again in the last day, at the last outpouring, at the latter rain that shall be greater than the former rains according to the old prophecy of the great prophet. I'm here to tell you, lift up your hands, look under the hills where your strength comes from, because God's about to pour out an outpouring on this place like we've never seen or experienced before. Amen. Oh. So this promise wasn't just for past generations, it isn't just for present generations, but it's for future generations. We're leaving a legacy here. Can I have an amen? It was, is, and always will be the will of God for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap. Now if you believe it, say hallelujah. Shout it. Amen. So if that's the case and if we're in agreement, then why are we not seeing the outpourings, the reigning over, the overflowing, moving presence manifested in the congregations of today throughout America? Why are we not seeing multitudes being baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's the will of God. It's God's desire. It's been prophesied. It's been promised. And it's been commanded. Why are we not seeing it? As a whole, in the modern-day American church, especially in America, we are seeing mainly that God's presence is moving on a percentage or a part of the people. In overseas, it's a different kind of a story. I was watching the other day of a, a Reinhardt Bunky, and he was preaching. There was one million, over one million. They quit counting at one million in one service in Africa. And the Holy Spirit hit that place. And when they did, people started speaking in tongues, not the native African language, but the tongues of heaven from the front row all the way to the back. And over 500 to 600,000 people were slain in the spirit at the exact same time. That is the power of God, my friend. Can I have an amen? God wants to do it in America. I said, God wants to do it in America. Hey, God wants to start a palace of praise on 1400 Herschel Boulevard in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. I don't think you're getting it. I think this place ought to be screaming right now because I want to tell you God's desiring to do this among us here at the palace. He wants to do it. He's starving to do it. He's beckoning for the church to get itself ready for it. But it's very rare anymore that you hear the whole congregations in America being moved upon and moving in the Holy Spirit at the very same time. We was very close to having 100% participation here this morning. God showed us what it's, he just gave, have you ever heard that song, oh, a foretaste divine? God just gave us a foretaste this morning. God just come down and said, hey, I got a bucket of honey for you, but let me just give you a few drops. He's in tagging, oh, you know, he's kind of, what you call it, he's, he's just pulling at us, trying to create a hunger. He, and there's an intense feeling in our services that something is about to break out. But I want to caution you something. There's a tense sense of overwhelming fear as well. The body's tensed right now. And I've not put my finger on it. And I said, God, I know where some of the tension comes from. But I want to tell you, it's time to relax in the spirit. And I'll get into that in a minute. It's time to understand that if you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a scorpion. Hey, come on. God's going to give good things to them that ask. Get ready for what God's about to do. 
You see people being blessed beyond measure a lot of times while at the same time a majority of the church remains untouched. I'm not talking necessarily about our church. I'm talking about the church world in general in America. You see people sitting in the same congregations, hearing the same songs, listening to the same sermons, and yet you have a diversified mixture of people that are actually responding and being blessed and touched of the Lord. Years ago as a child, even in my younger years in ministry, I would have to admit that it wasn't uncommon to see whole congregations respond to the Spirit of God all at the very same time. I've witnessed it over on Mount and Cedar, I don't know how many times, we've witnessed it here a few times. But you would see a wave of God's spirit go across that congregation and that whole congregation would break out in worship and dance and praise and in blessing. And on many occasions this would happen. And I want to tell you, you I couldn't even preach the, because the Holy Spirit just took over and it's just like on the day when Solomon had dedicated the temple. The Bible says that the ministers or the priests could not minister by reason because of the glory of God had settled in the room. So I'm telling you, I have seen that on, not only in my childhood, but I've seen it in my ministry. I've seen it on Ninth and Cedar on several occasions. And over the last 13 years in this building, I've seen it a handful of times. And it's a wonderful thing to see the glory of God come down where a participation of 100% of people just jump up and just, sporad- not sporadically, but they just jump, in, jump up in harmony and don't even know what they're doing and all respond to the Holy Spirit as he's being poured out. That is a holy reference that God's looking for in the church. But so many in America are treating as if they're afraid of God and they're afraid of the movement of God. They're afraid of embarrassment. They're afraid of what? I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman. He will not, he will not embarrass you. When he gets done with you, you may think, who in the world would have ever thought I'd done something like that? But you would have felt, you'll feel good about it after you do it. Amen? Yeah. On many occasions when this would happen, you would see the glory of God just settle in a haze. When I was a young boy at my home church, I was holding Benjamin one night. He was born. I, was a, I said a young boy, a young man. And Benjamin was sitting there and all of a sudden the haze of the Holy Spirit came down in that, in that church at Dudley. And I seen the literal smoke, the literal haze physically with my eyes. I've never seen much like that before. And I thought, oh, God, you're moving in here. I just seen it start coming in like fog machines. I thought, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, the presence of God got on me. And when he did, that place erupted. No one else even mentioned seeing it. And I didn't even go around telling people that I seen it. And the Spirit of the Lord hit me. And I guess it was the first time that I've really ever danced. I don't know if it's the first time or not, but it was a great experience. Where I began to dance in the Spirit and I could not control my feet. I was doing a jig, buddy. I was all over that place, all over. I was like kind of Donna Moore a while ago. Amen. That's completely out of her nature, but I want to tell you, don't embarrass her when she gets in. It makes you feel good when you get in the presence of God like that. And I was dancing away, and all of a sudden, I had a, Benjamin was in my arms, and somebody came up and tried to take Benjamin away, and the Holy Spirit said, you grab hold of your son, and do not let them take them out of your arms for that which you feel he feels. And I held on to him and me and Benjamin danced all, all over that place. I'm just looking for the day. I see old Benjamin cut a rug right out here. I'm going to go and jump up in his arms and say, buddy, I carried you. Now it's time for you to carry me. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to say, you got that from your papa? Can I have an Amen. You say, well, what's that important? I want to tell you, when men and women of God begin to move, I want to tell you, children will follow. 
Did you hear that? Oh, Well, we want our young people to learn, and we put them over in children's church, and we put them in the back. Mike and them do a marvelous job, and our team does a marvelous job, but there's times they need to see Pentecost, and they need to see it out of mom and dad and grandpa and grandma. And they need to understand what is real because a lot of times they'll look at old Joe. They don't know Joe, but they know daddy. They know papa. They know mama. And I want to tell you, they, when they see it coming out, there's something about Haven't you ever heard the testimonies? I'm here as a result of grandma's praying. I'm here as a result of mama praying. It's always mom and it's always grandma. Well, I want to tell you, there's some of you becoming grandmas and there's some of you becoming grandpas and there's an expectation on this generation to see something out of you to leave a legacy for them to have a hold of to claim truth to. Can I have an amen? Somebody stand to your feet and give the Lord praise for what I'm preaching here today. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, help me. When we got done dancing, when I got done dancing, I was wore out over there and I looked up and I looked, my shirt tail was out. I think I kicked one shoe plum off. And I looked up and there was Benjamin. He was smiling like, you couldn't believe how that boy was smiling. And I don't know how many people tried to take that boy out of my arms. I don't know if they thought he was gonna get hurt. He wasn't gonna get hurt. He was in for the ride of his life. And he was feeling the presence of God. And that's something that I want my children to understand. I want them to see it. Not only in Pentecostal church, I want, to see, I want them to see it out of Papa, out of Daddy. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. There are things that God wants to do that isn't just for individual needs. I want you to know there is things that God is desiring to do corporately among us for a greater witness. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week and he said, I have prepared me a church for a greater witness. Ha. You're not getting that, old palace. Do you understand that you got a divine destiny upon you that some churches don't have? Do you not understand you've got a prophetic word hanging over this congregation saying, hey, if you're a part of the palace, guess what? I have prepared you. You're a part of something that's going to have a greater witness. But with to whom much is given, much is required. And the thing that you and I got to understand with everything God gives us, there's a weightiness to it that there is a responsibility to it, that there's an accountability to it. Can I have an amen? And God is about to explode this church, but he's not going to do it with a handful of people working in the gifts. He's gonna do it when a corporate body buys into the vision and understands that they're just as much a part of what God's doing as anybody else. Get over your inferiority, because you know, if you got inferiority, it has no place at the palace of praise, because there's no big eyes, there's no big use here. I wanna tell you, we're all equal, we're just as important. We may not have the great elaborate speaking of some, and you may come from Dudley and make up half of your words like I do, but that's okay, God can use you, and God will use you. Come on, somebody help me preach. We're in this thing together. God is wanting to pour his spirit out on the whole church and he wants the whole church to respond. Amen? Do you know what kind of a witness it would be for 700 to 1,000? It's according to whether it happened on Easter or whether it happened on a regular service. But could you imagine a 700 to 1,000, 1,200 of us to be filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit all at the same time? And then wouldn't that be a great witness? But you know what would even be a greater witness? That this whole body manifests the same manifestation. Woo! 
getting a thousand people together. We can't even get, sometimes when the grandchildren spend, we can't even get five together because it takes us forever to get ready for church. Audrey's getting up at that age now. She needs her own bathroom. How many of you got a bunch of women in your house? Raise your hand. May I pray for you? Hallelujah. Oh, I'm, I'm digging myself a hole here. I better back off. I might offend somebody. But the truth of the matter is that you and I got to understand that the greater witness would be that if there's a 700 of us, this morning we're a little loud because of, shy because of deer season. But when we're here between six and 700 of us every single Sunday morning, that wouldn't it be something that the Holy Spirit just begin to move a con- con- congregation and all of us respond? Every single one of us respond. Every single one of us yield. Every single one of us submit. Every single one of us get hungry. Every single one of us desire. Every single one, come on, are you getting the picture? Notice that on the day of Pentecost, they all, say all, all. spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the other. They had all had tongues of fire to set upon them. All of them did. The tongues of fire didn't come down and scatter out and land on this and land on that one. They all had them, and they all heard, felt, and experienced the rush of mighty wind. And they all seen the tongues of fire. There was none that did not feel and experience the move of the Spirit of God in that upper room. Every one of them did. The question is, why are we not seeing a corporate moves of God regularly in the 21st century modern day church in America? What's our problem? I begin to analyze it. There could be many different kinds of reasons. Some would say they'd take the negative. Oh, it's because there's sin in the camp. That's always the excuse for some. There would be some that would say because there's not lack of commitment. There would be some say, oh, it's due to the worldliness that's crept in. Or some would say it's due to a lack of submission. Some would say, well, it's the size of the church because logistically it's impossible to get a large church in the same vein of that of a small church. How many believes that? It's a lot easier to unify 30 people than it is 1,000 people. Amen? It's a lot easier. But to unify 1,000 people is not impossible. Why do we treat it as if it is? When we were over in the Cedar, we were all kind of the same kind of people. We kind of, and all of a sudden, as it started growing, diversity started coming in. Different people of different nationalities, different personalities, different thinking. All, all of a sudden, it changed. The dynamics changed. And when that changed, you know what happened? The corporate moves of God begin to get less and less and less and less and less. Because what we've allowed to happen is allow our own personality to dictate to us of what we will and will not allow in any given service. And yet God is saying, I want to reach beyond the barriers of your personality and I want to reach beyond the barriers of your possibility in the spirit. Woo! So I'm about to preach. I kind of felt bad until I got up here. I've been having a hard morning. Couldn't even hardly walk getting here. Had so much pain. The pain's lifted. I'm ready to flow. Praise God for his supernatural abundant strength. Amen. I thank God for a manifestation of healing right now. It's taking place in my body. But here we are, we gotta understand that when the Holy Spirit begins to move, we cannot take that lightly. That's God's presence. It ain't a king that's walked in a room. It ain't, it ain't a president or it's not a, a, a politician, folks, or a lawyer or a judge, even though he's got those titles. It's God that's walked in the room. And we gotta understand the perfect gentleman, the Holy Spirit, is not going to force you to do something that you're unwilling to yield to. He's a holy guest. He's a holy ghost. He's not going to force his will upon you. He may try to convince you. He can put the squeeze on, 
But I want to tell you as a whole, he's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do or allow him to do in you. You have to yield. You have to submit. The first thing that we have to realize is that God moves sometimes is a matter of timing. Notice, there may be truths in every single one of these things I just said. There may be sin in the camp. We may not be able to submit. It may be easier to get uh, 70 people into unity than a thousand uh, congregation. I understand that. But there'll be some, even though there's some truth all that, that is not what the Holy Spirit put into my heart. He didn't put a negative in my heart. He just said, I want you to investigate Acts chapter two, verse one. So I did. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. How many's heard that preached? I mean, I've preached it a thousand times. But the first thing we have to realize is God's move sometimes is a matter of timing. Look at somebody and say a matter of timing. The Bible says that this event did not happen until the day of Pentecost was fully come. You know on many occasions when describing why Jesus did or did not do something, it always says because his time had not yet come or it's not his time to do it, it's what it meant. When Mary wanted Jesus to do something, the marriage supper of the Lamb about the wine that had run, they had run out of wine and she had went to him. You know what he said in John chapter two, verse four? Woman, what have I to do to thee? My hour has not yet come. It's not my time to be doing miracles right now is what he was saying. In John chapter seven, Jesus came and wanted him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. But the problem lied in the fact that the Jews sought him to kill him. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus responds to his brethren and he tells them in John chapter six, verse seven, my time has not yet come, but your time is always there. In other words, he's saying, he's telling them, you go to the Feast of Tabernacles because it's your obligation. You have to be in a Jew. But he said, I can't go. He said, because he knew if he did go, they would kill him and it was not his time to die on the crosses of yet. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, verse 30, the Bible says, then they sought to take his life, but no man laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus, it was not his time to do. And let me tell you, there's a timing that is upon this congregation. Woo! I feel it. My son, Andrew, it was opening day of deer season for him because he's a youth on Saturday morning. And I was sitting there all week. Ben said, I got to work. And I said, good, I get to take the boy this year. Papa Randy's gone and I get to do it. Hallelujah. And I sat there and I anticipate where I was going to take him. I sat there and I thought, where would be a good hunt for this boy? Grandpa's got to put him on deer. And man, I'm, I'm working myself up. I'm getting all excited. And I know it ain't going to happen until Saturday. And all week I was fretting, putting my stuff together, telling Jenny, find my curhaws. And I went out and bought me a coat. And I was so excited until Thursday I looked at the weather and it said it was going to be 29 degrees and my enthusiasm kind of went. <laughs> but nevertheless, we get up before dark, which is very unusual for me. I don't go to bed till almost that time. And we get up, and me and Andrew, we sat out on our horse, and it was something that I anticipated, and the joy of that morning to get up with that boy and to go hunting with him. And yet God has spoken to me as a pastor and said, I've got a prophetic uh, happening that's going to happen to this congregation, but it's a matter of timing. Whew. I'm getting excited. How many's excited? Are you believing this with me, that we got a prophetic... A prophetic event that's about to happen to the palace of praise? It's about to happen. It's coming. 
But it says, and, but, but it goes on and says, but when the fullness of time had come, in Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman made under the law. As important as salvation was, Jesus did not come until the fullness of time had came, until it was timing. There was a time for him, for God's manifestation to come at an appropriate time to bring salvation to the Jews first. There's a timing for a corporate move of God and the Holy Spirit did not come until the day of Pentecost was fully come. We have to realize that this thing that we want, that we desire, that we're hunger after will only come at God's timing. Now we can't force it, we can't drive it. Sometimes I'm I'm a very passionate man. Passionate people sometimes create tension and I've asked the Lord, is the tension created a little bit by me because I'm a very passionate guy and when I get out there, it's like a hammer and a hammer and it creates a tension if I'm not careful because I'm wanting it to happen so bad that sometimes I'm trying to force it to happen. Come on. And some people are just nervous about the event altogether. Some people think, you know, the preacher keeps preaching this and the pastor keeps preaching it and the, all of the other guys keep preaching it and I'm beginning to believe it, but I'm getting a little bit intense about what to expect, quit trying to expect anything. The Lord wanted me to tell you here this morning, relax, for my timing is coming near for me to about to do my work among the palace, but relax and enjoy the presence of my spirit and let me take charge and watch and see what I can do. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me all week. The problem is we cannot get weary in our pursuit, in our hunger, become faint-hearted. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. We get a hunger for this because it's those that hunger and thirst after righteousness that shall be filled. And in Galatians 6 and 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Did you catch the key word? When do we reap in due season? When it's time to reap. And sometimes we try to just make it happen. We drive, we force, we, we push. We, and then when it don't happen, we have a sense of wanting to fall apart, and that's why we faint. And then when we start doing that, we start blaming people. Preachers blame congregations. Congregations blame people. People blame worship directors. And worship directors blame the congregation. They don't respond when we worship and the congregation is doing They blame them because they're up there trying to push it down our throat. And that preacher, he tries to push it down. And we get out of sync. And that is because there's an unsatisfied tension in our lives that we know something's about to happen and it's not happening when we want, how we want, and the way we create it. And we somehow want to make a mold. And if it don't come in that mold, then we want to kind of discard it. But God's saying to the congregation, quit putting a blame game on it. It's not anybody's fault. It is attention. My time is not yet to do it. But timing is coming. Relax. Enjoy the presence of God. Follow the direction that I'm about to give you as a pastor. Because I'm going to give you four things God spoke to me. And if you'll be obedient and relax this thing will happen automatically. You have to push, beg, pump, plead, all that kind of a thing. It'll just fall. And you know what'll happen? People will be responding to it before they know even what happened. Can I have an amen? I don't think you're understanding this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his rights. All these other things will fall into place. Keep your focus upon seeking Christ. The thing of this, this thing is, this thing is of, of the spirit is either faint or faith. One of the two. If we lose faith, we'll lose out on the reaping, but regardless of how much effort 
and time that we put into it. Just like we're commanded to watch, to be alert, to be ready for the second coming of the Lord. How many knows he's coming in an hour when we think not? How many knows he comes as a thief in the night? His coming is of his own choice. How many knows that even Jesus, the Son of God, don't even know when he's coming? Because the Bible tells us he neither knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes, only the Father only. And if we are to be ready for his coming, or we're going to be left at his appearing if we're not, even so when God gets ready to do something corporately among us as a congregation at Pala praise, if we're not prepared, alert, awake, and aware, then we'll miss it. Just because he's got a divine destiny and desire for us doesn't mean that we'll fulfill it. We have to be ready for it. We got to want it. I'm telling you what the scope of 2020 is all about already because the Lord's done put it into my spirit. This thing of timing is of most importance. Another thing that we have to understand is even though I believe that God is wanting to have a corporate move of God among us to where he inhabits the congregation, this is one of the most important things. I want. This is more of a teaching here today. Yet we have to realize that what God's going to do is only seasonal. Look at somebody and say seasonal. It's an important word. What season's got to do? It's about timing. You don't have harvest all year round. There comes a time you have harvest and you got to regroup. Plan again so you can have another harvest. Are you with me? God always wants to meet with his people individually. That never stops. That's something that he continually wants to do. But he does not always minister to the masses the same way. God is wanting to have a divine awakening among us by moving corporately and sending revival. But what happens when his, when his movement lifts? How are you and I going to respond? Can he trust us with the move of God? If we fall apart when there's no miracles, no signs, no outward displays of glory after having it for a long season then he cannot really trust us with what, about what he's wanting to send to us. We gotta be mature people. Can I have an amen? It is unsustainable, listen to this, write this down. The Holy Spirit put it into my spirit. It is unsustainable for a church to remain in a place of Shekinah glory for a long period of time. It's unsustainable. It's impossible. Because I want to, you know what the Shekinah glory is? It's where God's presence is weighty. It's felt, it's seen with supernatural abundance. It's on a daily and an hourly timetable. And it's something that is just so heavy that a person cannot be sustained in having it for the rest of his life. Amen? Everywhere in the Bible, when the Shekinah glory come down, look at it. Some was in a day, some was in a week, some was in a season where to abide in certain places for a certain specific time period, but it always lifted. It never remained. Solomon's temple, the glory of the Lord come down, the Shekinah glory, it remained for just a short season and it was gone. How are we gonna react when it's gone? Say, well, Brother Miller, why is he only gonna do it? God's sending it to awaken us to the reality of who he is to bring an awakening, and then when it lifts, God gives us ample opportunity to disciple those that were saved in it. And then when we get that done, guess what? We move to phase two, his glory comes back again. And we go from glory to glory. From glory to glory, but in between the glory is the time that we have to teach, to train, to disciple. 
where people won't get caught up in feelings and emotions and get overzealous and chase stupid stuff. And you know what happens a lot of times to these kinds of movements? God has to lift the movement before he's done because of the fact that there's no pastoring that movement. And what happens is people begin to get weird and they get out here and get to doing some stupid stuff and it causes the presence of God to have to lift. I'm trying to pastor this thing. It's seasonal. We go from glory to glory. Now I'm gonna close here in just a few minutes. I'm gonna give you four things the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now in order to have a corporate move, then we have to discern the times. 2020's coming up. Guess what 2020 is? It has to do with vision. How many like to have 2020 vision? Amen. 2020 is having a perfect vision. It speaks of revelation. It speaks of discernment. It speaks of understanding. And we have to have perfect understanding of the times that you and I are living in. God is wanting to minister to this corporate body and I'm declaring unto you today as your leader, it is high time for us to wake out of the slumber and the sleep and know what the mind of the Lord is. It is time for us to redeem the time. The second thing we have to see in verse one is, and when the day of Pentecost is fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. The early church was in one accord in one place. Notice that we can be in one place, but that doesn't mean we're always in one accord. We have to learn how to get in harmony. We gotta get in one accord. These people were unified in purpose. They were seeking the same thing, looking for the same thing, hungering for the same thing, praying for the same thing. They were unified in their efforts. They were unified in their house. A house that's divided against itself cannot stand. Bill cannot have a different vision than what I have and Bob have his own vision and before long you got four or five different varieties of visions floating around in the congregation and they're all speaking it in the area of influence or where they are and what happens is it divides the congregation and does not bring purpose. We have to have the same vision. Amen? We gotta have the same goal here. Unity is the breeding ground for the supernatural and the phenomenon to happen. These people were in agreement. They were in harmony. These people were like a symphony. These people's faith and prayers were like an elaborate musical composition of a full orchestra. Each note being important, each sound having its significance, making a beautiful harmony before the Lord. And this is what God is expecting out of the palace of praise, that God's waiting for the church to come in harmony, in unity, under one accord, in one place, so that he can send his corporate move. Amen? These people were one and waiting for the coming comforter. They knew what they were waiting for. Jesus told them, you tarry, you wait, you seek, you remain until the comforter comes. Well, you know what? God's asking and requiring and commanding and beseeching and charging this congregation to seek after a corporate move of God for a holy inhabitation. That's what he's wanting us to do. And we'll not have it until we all come in agreement and say this is real and have an anticipation and get excited about it and start seeking for it. Amen? These people were in one place. They were one in their praying. They were one in their praise and worship to God. They were one in obedience. They were one in steadfastness. They were one in sacrifice. They were one in their vision. They were one in their manifestation. They all spoke in tongues, verse four. They all took to the streets in verse five or verse six. They all proclaimed the wonderful works of God in verse 11. They all witnessed in verse 32. They all continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in verse 42. And we can go on and on and on of all the things that they were one in. All, four, there are four things, I should say, that God spoke to me that we are to be unity in for right now. Number one, we are to celebrate Jesus Christ. 
God told me, he said, you want this corporate thing to happen? Get the body to buy into harmony and, and celebrating Jesus Christ. Now there's worshiping and there's praising, but there's also celebrating. This morning was celebration. Dancing, enjoying. God wants to see his people enjoy his presence. Amen? Enjoy the presence of God. Quit waiting for something to happen. Make it happen by celebrating Jesus. Lifting him up. We gotta be one in our worship. The second thing we're to be one in, we're to celebrate one another's victories. God said you celebrate one another's victories. Because when, you start, when I start giving you a victory and then you start bringing it openly and celebrate it, it builds faith in the congregation and before long you'll have victory after victory and before long it is the victory that pulls your faith together. You see how God's gonna do it? When we don't even have enough sense to do it ourselves, God does it for us by just telling us, hey, you don't know how to get there, I'm gonna help you get there. When Mike is sick and I give him a victory, celebrate that victory, it brings oneness with you and him and before long it builds faith for another victory to happen and the more victory happens, it unifies the body of Christ in unity of believing. Oh, I gotta get away from my notes or we'll be here all day. Hallelujah. The third thing is, mourn with those that mourn. Don't judge somebody because they're in a bad place mourning. Mourn with those who mourn. Have care. When the body cares, it's the breeding ground for miracles. Amen? Mourn with those that mourn. We're going to go back to celebrating one another's victories just for a minute. November the 27th, I've been working on it a long, long time in my mind. And I was wondering how am I going to put all this together, what I'm wanting to do. And I just could not come up with the answer in my mind. Brad and Roxanne Carson's got marvelous testimony. They put it on tape, and we've had that tape for some time now. I've been praying over that tape, and I said, now, God, you want to do something special with this. What, what is it you want to do? And I couldn't come up with it, and I wrestled with it. And all of a sudden, this week, it just kind of come together. I ain't going to tell you how it came together, but God said, on, we're going to do it this month. I think it's the 20th, isn't it? Is that the right date? Where's Melody. She's not here. Where's it? Roxanne, when's that? We're going to do that. 17th. I knew I was wrong. I couldn't. The 17th of November on a Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate her and Brad's victory. Now, I ain't going to tell you all about the service, but am I excited? The first thing I want you to know, you got to get here early because we're playing the announcements before we ever even start the church. Praise and worship is going to start immediately at 10.30. And they're just going to sing a few songs because we got a lot to uncover in celebrating this. And when we get done, Roxanne them, when they, they got their testimony, after that I'm going to preach on divine healing. And then what we celebrate with them, we're going to line the people up that we're asking to pray and to fast this week. And we're going to see miracles happen in the house of God. How many believe that? We're going to have a celebration of victories. But not only do we do all of those things, the last one that the Lord began to deal with me and it was so heavy about what we are to unify ourselves in. And the fourth thing is this, to where to seek for a refreshed outpouring of the Holy Spirit and divine habitation to bring forth an awakening. All of these are tied together. I can't preach on how it's all tied together because we'll be here too long. But look why the disciples were so... Uh, effective 
even after Pentecost, Acts 2.44, and all that believed were together and they had all things common. Did you hear that? And all that believed were together and they had all things common. Listen to verse 46 of chapter two. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. What did they do? They continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were together in what they were doing. They were together. These people were together and not only what they were doing, but they were unified within a purpose. They all bought into the vision. They pulled together. There was like a sweet sympathy going up before the Lord and that moved the heart of God. Can I ask you today as your pastor, would you please unite with me and with us for the common goal to have a holy inhabitation of the presence of God here? Will you celebrate Jesus with, with me each Sunday, each Sunday night, each Wednesday night, and every day make it a lifestyle celebrate Jesus? Would you celebrate one of those victories? Would you mourn with those that mourn? And would you please get to fasting and to praying and putting your focus in singleness of heart to have a corporate move that will bring an awakening to this entire region? That's where we're at. Would you stand with me, please?